Good morning, everybody. It's Jeff Goldberg for the Sales Pro Network. It is Friday, September 23rd. I'm here on the east coast of uh, the United States on Long Island. It's freezing this morning. I don't know what happened to summer, which seems to be here yesterday, but it's a great day. As you know, or some of you know, I'm a sales coach and trainer, and I work with both individuals and organizations to help them get measurable and sustainable sales increases. And I founded the Sales Pro Network to elevate the profession of sales and to give salespeople a place where they can network with each other, come and ask questions. They get coaching from people like myself and many of my competitors here. And every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, we either do a live training or a live interview with somebody who can add value to the profession of sales. And today is no exception. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Baz Verk of At Least Elite Closers. Good morning, Baz. What's going on, Jeff? You are my friend. Uh, Baz, <laughs> why don't we get started with, why don't you tell us a little bit about, give us a two or three minute background uh, How'd you get to up to this point? What brought you here? Um, well, without going way too far back in like 2009 when I first started, um, but I sort of fell into like the the high ticket space back in 2017, I believe, late 16, early 17. Uh, someone reached out to me. They needed a, a, a closer at the time. And I'm just fresh coming off of, a, um, you know, car sales, real estate and all that stuff. So I just sort of fell into it and blew up from there. Went into managing some sales teams from there, and now I have my sales agency. Got it. By the way, I forgot to mention, if you're watching us live, please say hello in the comments. Uh, if you are watching us live on Facebook and you're not connected to StreamYard, we won't know your name unless you put it in there. So if you say hello from Facebook, please put your name in there. And as we're speaking, if you have any uh, questions for Baz, please ask them. And finally, if you're watching us on the replay, please put replay in the comments. So Baz, you mentioned high ticket sales. What do you consider, what do you, what do you call high ticket sales? So re remote high ticket sales. Um, so, you know, you, you see no people like uh, Grant Cardone or Tony Robbins, all these big guys. They have a lot of like online programs or services that they offer or anything digital marketing related, um, software as a service, anything that can be sold remotely and it's not a physical product can be, almost considered a high ticket product or service. So it has nothing to do with, you know, the amount of money. I mean, could, could a hundred dollar service be considered high ticket? Well, good question. So there is, um, it's, everyone has different definitions, but the average in this space is anywhere from 5k to 50k. All right. That's about the average. So 5k will be on the lower end considered high tickets. I mean, some people consider 2000, 3000 high ticket as well. It's just my opinion. 5,000, I think is the lowest thing. That's at least what I work with. And there's offers and products and services at 75,000 and hundred K and, you know, above and beyond 500 K a million. Um, and you start getting into like, you know, uh, super expensive cars, yachts, all that good stuff. Those are considered high ticket as well. Um, but yeah, anywhere from five, 50, hundred, that, that range five being the lower end. But your definition is not just the money. It, it's also, it's being done remotely. Yes. Yes. Uh, Okay. Not just a and, and why don't you explain what Elite Closers is all about? Because you're not just a, a sales expert. You do more. Right. So Elite Closers is a sales agency. So we originally started just building out sales teams for some of these uh, entrepreneurs selling services online. So when um, an entrepreneur has leads coming in and everything like that, they have, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 calls that they book. They obviously they can't take them all themselves. So they would hire me to build out a sales team for them to be able to take those calls on a performance basis, commission basis. So let's say they have a 10K product and I build them a, 
um, a sales team, every closer on there, every time they sell a 10K product, they would get a commission. Average commission in the industry is around 10 to 20%. And they would make a commission off of that 10K product. And that's what I do. I just build and manage sales teams. And that's for the B2B side um, of my business. And then recently, earlier this year, late last year, we started a B2C side of the business where I'm also training the closers that I can place into my, you know, within my client accounts. Yeah. And that's really how I found you. Cause I, I saw you on Facebook and you're constantly giving great advice about, uh, and you have some very, uh, uh, sometimes contrary in views to what many people yes. say. Uh, and yes. I, that's what attracted me. So in, speaking about high ticket sales, you know, what's the industry growth look like? So industry growth right now by 2025, it's projected to hit anywhere between 450 to 500 billion. Wow. And this is just a online, just the e-learning space itself. And this is not counting like, you know, uh, financial products and SaaS products, just e-learning itself, consulting services and uh, online programs. They're, it's, it's growing rapidly, 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 ra- rapidly. So, uh, would you say that, that that that's because the pandemic changed everything? I mean, you know, for many of, I mean, there was, there's always been inside sales, uh, but the pandemic really brought about the, the need to be able to work remotely. You know, there was Zoom and other stuff like that for a long time, but things changed when, when the pandemic hit. Is that what you saw? Uh, so it was, it was going to happen either way, in my opinion. I think the pandemic just sped it up a little bit. So rather than it happening... Uh, hitting the four, you know, these are obscene, ridiculous numbers we're talking about here, but 400, uh, $500 billion. Um, I think the industry was going to hit that anyways, but it might've been 2028 or 2030 or something like that. I think the mm-hmm. pandemic just sped everything up and yeah, brought I, it up I know, to in the next couple of years. I know I now do almost everything remotely. Uh, uh, you know, when the pandemic hit, I was almost exclusively doing in-person training all over the world. That dried up immediately because nobody wanted to travel. Nobody wanted to put themselves in front of an, uh, be with an audience. Uh, right. So I had to learn quickly to, to adapt. Uh, but um, what would you say is the potential for a sales rep or a closer in this space? Um, so on the lower end, um, if, you're, <laughs> if you're any good, on the lower end, you should be hitting at least a 10 to 15K uh, a month mark. Um, most of our roles that uh, we put our closers in, our sales reps in, uh, they're 100k a year on track earning roles, um, but for example, one of my best closers, he did 45k in two months ago. So 45k in one month, in one month in commissions. So we're in talking these closers are making almost a minimum of 120,000 a year. Yes, yes, that's at least my minimums. There's people out there making 2k, 5k a month. You know, that's just all you know, all over the place, but the, uh, the closers I'm working with. Yes. I Got hope it. that at least like the 10 K a month as a standard. Got it. But by the way, good morning, Ben Gibbs, one of my favorite salespeople in the world. Um, so h- how do you compare this space to other industries uh, in-, in the world of sales? I think uh, comfortability, comfortability. It's, um, it- it's very different. And this is, you know, I'm coming from a background of car sales and real estate sales. Um, it's it's very different when you're talking to someone like this right now, right? And I've never met you in person, but the comfortability that me and you can have, it's very close to being in person, right? And that's that's just my opinion. I think um, even going forward, I think uh, a lot of sales are moving inside. A lot of sales are moving to the remote field. 
Um, and again, that's referring back to your point of uh, COVID. I think that that just sped everything up. Yeah, I, I'm actually torn. Uh, uh, I still believe that nothing takes the place of a face-to-face -face meeting, but right. there's such an amazing economy of scale uh, by doing everything virtually. I'm not driving right. to a point, getting on a plane to meet with people. Uh, right. I, you know, I meet with a ton of people. Look, I, I jump from meeting to meeting to meeting all day long. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it makes me very efficient and very effective. But right. I often question, you know, if would my closing ratio be different if I was meeting people in person? Uh, I'm a heck of a lot older than you. You know, I'm, I'm more towards the end of my career as opposed to you at the beginning. But, uh, you know, I, got, I think that might have affected me. Um, you know, I, I still believe in a handshake and reading body language, which is much more difficult to do over the over the phone, certainly, or, or, or via video conference. Right. But uh, I truly, I have to admit, I love not leaving the house. I love where I live. I love <laughs> with my dog all day and uh, uh, being able to, you know, go out and take a walk. I live by the beach. I can, you know, take a walk down to the ocean if I need to clear my head for anything. So it, it, it's a it, talk. It's interesting. You mentioned um, you mentioned the scalability and that is huge. Right. And especially for salespeople, like um, like if, if I was stepping in your shoes, you're, you know, training all these guys going one place to another, having an audience. But when you're traveling, you're sort of limited. Right. You're limited to a certain area. You're limited to, you know, whoever you can get in contact with in this space, especially, you know, social media and online and Internet and everything like that. Your scalability and your skills can be spread across such a almost every other, you know. Like there could be someone in Asia or Europe that can need your help, right? And it's just that scalability factor is huge, 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 huge. And that you, we can't no longer have to be limited to a certain uh, geographical area. Yeah, that never stopped me. I mean, I've done training all over the world. But but uh, first of all, it takes time to get places. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, whereas I could train three teams in a day if, if I needed to or, uh, uh, or they needed me to. Uh, whereas I can only, you know, I, I can't fly to China and, you know, then fly to Italy the same day and, and do two trainings. Uh, and today, you know, look, there were always airline issues, but today it, it's insane. You know, you could sit in an airport and miss planes and, you know, miss trainings. I, I've, I've, I've only missed one training in 18 years uh, because of uh, travel issues. So that was very fortunate, but I, I'd be very cautious today about doing that. Uh, what, what are some of the pros and cons of becoming a high ticket closer? I mean, that kind of money should sound attractive to anybody. Uh, 10000 a month is good money, but, you, you know, 40000 a month, that's, that's serious. We're talking serious <laughs> coin. So what, yeah. is, what are the pros and cons? So the pros, obviously the money, the money, the comfortability, um, you know, you can um, most, most entrepreneurs, most uh, business owners, they don't really care what your schedule is. So you don't have to have a, a particular like a nine to five, right? There's no clock in time, no clock out time. You can um, like your Google calendar, you can have it open whatever time. So if you want to work 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. and that you're a night owl, you enjoy working that time, you can work at that time. And you'll what ha will happen is you'll get leads from another part of the world that's awake at that time. Now you can just start handling those leads. So you can pick and choose whatever time you want to work. You, you can also pick and choose how many hours a day you want to work. If you're someone who wants to grind, you can work eight hours, 10 hours a day. If you're someone who just wants to be laid back, you can work four hours a day, right? And obviously the money. The con, it's not for everyone, right? And that's, uh, that's, not a, that's not a thing for this space alone. I think that's a thing for sales in general. It's not for everyone. 
Um, but this is right now, a lot of people not, uh, I don't want to mention no names, but a lot of people portray a lot of things online that it's easy, right? That it's easy to make 10 K a month. It's easy to make 20 K a month. It's not easy, right? Is it doable? Absolutely. Absolutely doable. I've seen people who just get into the space first month, they made 27 K first month ever in sales, let alone online sales first month ever made 27,000. So it's, it's definitely doable, right? And I think uh, the kickstart should be at least like 90 days. And that's, you know, my training as well. Within 90 days, I can ramp you up. If I can't get you there then, then it's, you might not be cut out for it. But um, yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy. So whoever's, you know, watching this, just don't think, you know, um, whether it's this uh, area of sales or any other sales, if anyone tells you sales is easy, it's, it's not. Yeah, I, I always say that sales is not an easy gig. Uh, and I always say this, that it beats digging ditches in the hot sun, but I don't know that because I never did that. But it, it's mentally exhausting and there are ups and downs. Uh, obviously, you know, the attraction of making $10,000, $27,000 in one month, that, that's a stupendous number for most humans don't do that. Are there any particular attributes that uh, you look for when you're training or bring on people like that, that you think would tend to make them more likely to be successful? Uh, so my approach is more in the listen more, talk less space. So I look for empathy. Huge. Is if you have the ability to actively listen to your prospect, I think that's a, a, a quality that most salespeople, that whole old saying of the gift of the gab, that's no longer true, I believe, in the information age. Um, there's nothing. Uh, the buyers nowadays are very, very well educated. Most of them, at least. Right. Um, so you have to actively, actively listen to your prospect, find out what the uh, problem is, whatever the pain is before you even get into your product or service. So empathy, yes, I think, will be probably the biggest thing I would look at. And obviously coachability, having an open mind, right? Not just have certain uh, thing ingrained into you. Look, this is my approach and this is all I'm going to do. That's that's uh, narrow minded and coachability. Absolutely. Yeah. So you brought up a subject near and dear to my heart, which I train salespeople on also, you know, active listening. Most salespeople <clears throat> do not listen well. They think they get paid to talk and they don't. How do you define active listening and how do you teach people to do that? So <laughs> this is a little technical thing, right? I used to tell my closers, just mute yourself. Just mute yourself. And, you know, every, every day I'll listen to some sales calls as well, uh, depending on who's performing good, who isn't performing good, everything like that. But um, there's 80-20 rule is what I implement. The only two things three things uh, a salesperson in my opinion should be doing on a sales call or a sales meeting is questions restatements and the actual product service that you're offering which the pitch by the way should in my opinion only be between three to five minutes that's it and this is we're talking about like a 60 minute phone call 60 minute call or meeting your pitch or you know your presentation whatever you want to call it should only be three to five minutes and five minutes is like stretching it but most of the time, your prospect should be talking. You should be only asking questions and just restating whatever they've told you. That's it. Yeah. And, and I find most salespeople are listening, uh, waiting so that the prospect stops speaking so that they can talk again instead of really trying to understand what the prospect is, is saying to them. And they have a preconceived notion. I'm, I'm constantly amazed because 
I haven't done it recently, but I used to ride on sales calls. You know, I'd go into the field with salespeople and just observe. I was constantly stunned how salespeople would ask a question. The prospect would be answering the question, giving them the information <laughs> they needed, and they'd interrupt. Right. And, and or either they'd interrupt or they'd listen to the answer and then ask a completely different question that has no relationship to what the prospect just said. I, I have to tell you, this stunned me. This is one of my favorite examples. I'm on a sales call with a guy who uh, works for an insurance company. So he's, his job is to go to brokers to get them to sell their insurance. more. So it's, he's not closing a deal. He's just trying to create a relationship and show enough value so that the guy would uh, offer his insurance uh, more than anybody else's. So he asks a guy a question. And the question was, so whose insurance do you sell the most of? And in my mind, I'm like, good question. I'd like to know that too. And the answer was Unum, just a big insurance company. Now, in my mind, I had another question, but this guy went on to a totally, totally unrelated question. I'm like, are you kidding me? And, and my deal when I go into the field is I'm not saying a word. I'm not there to sell for you. I'm just there to observe you. I'm going to say hello when we walk in. I'm going to say goodbye when we leave. If a prospect looks at me and says, what do you think, Jeff? I go, well, what do you think, Baz? Because it's not my job to sell. But I did it in this case. And I said, wait a minute. Why do you sell Unum more than any other? Right. And the answer, the answer was the key to the sale. He goes, oh, um, that's the rep who pays the most attention to me. He comes in once a week and takes me to lunch. <laughs> Simple. And, but this guy never would have known that if I hadn't right. been there. I asked, people do not actively listen. By the way, good morning, Ray Aurora. He says, good morning, Baz. Good morning. Good from morning. Texas. Good morning. I'm assuming that's uh, Fran Cole Hebler. Uh, Peter Ekstrom has a, uh, a question. He's a brilliant cold calling trainer. Uh, Pete asks, how can you help people make dollars when you have no digital footprint and a $30 website? Yes, that's $30, actually, you're, you're being a generous. I don't think it's even $30. I think it's, what am I paying for that? I don't know. It's actually more. It's like 90 bucks a month or something like that. And it's not a website at all. It's a landing page. So uh, in the online space, websites are like, there's like a billion uh, websites and nobody gets found in websites. My aim is not to have a website. I just need a sales funnel that takes from, um, I'm not sure if anyone here is familiar with sales funnels, take someone from completely cold prospect, funnel them down to a phone call and we make a sale there. Don't need a website for it. Got it. And I'm okay. happy not to have a, a digital footprint. Got it. Okay. Uh, good morning, Don Levine. And let's see, Pete Ekstrom says, uh, the streaming video is circling over and over. And Matthew Gardner says it's working fine, but he's not getting the video, only the audio. <clears throat> uh, if you guys are watching, and uh, please let me know if you're all having a problem. I'm not quite sure what I can do about it because I'm thinking it's a StreamYard problem. But uh, uh, if not, I'll look into it and make sure that uh, it's fixed by next time. So how does one actually become a high-ticket closer? So there's a couple of ways uh, down it uh, about going about it. First one, obviously, is you go the regular route. Um, there's plenty of job postings. You can go Indeed. Um, best place will be a bunch of Facebook groups. Uh, they're always hiring. But that route is, you know, you climb up the ladder, right? You would start as someone uh, on an outbound, cold outbound team. Uh, you can move up to a setter, an appointment setter. This is someone just going messages, uh, whether it's uh, Instagram messages, Facebook messages, emails. That's an appointment setter, setting appointments for the closer. You can usually expect to make anywhere between three to eight K as a setter. That's just starting out in the field. Um, when you're a closer, someone is setting the appointments for you and you're just taking the inbound calls and just closing them. At that point, you can um, 
start making the the big bucks, right? But that usually takes about six to twelve months. Uh, that's one way. The, all the trial and error. The other way is you can work with someone, uh, whether it's me or someone else who owns an agency. I'll work with them, train up to be a closer, and then just directly get placed into a into a role. Wow! And what are the skills that you actually <clears throat> need to succeed in this space? What do you look for? So what, again, main thing is active listening, uh, being coachable, and you have to be comfortable just (laughs) – there's a level of uh, delusion I think every salesperson needs to have. There's no way we can get rejection on a daily basis and go home with a smile on our face, right? So that that, um, sort of embracing of rejection is something I look for. Mm. It's hard to explain, but – um, you know, it's not, we can't hear, obviously we're going to hear no all the time, right? Our, our goal is to, um, decrease the number of no's on a daily basis as we improve by time, but there has to be a certain level of, all right, so all right, this person told me, no, am I going to be able to take this and just leave it right there and start fresh with a new prospect? Or am I going to take that baggage with me onto the next call? That's something, you know, got it. Now, most sales experts teach salespeople to be very positive thinking, to always believe they're going to get a yes. But you say top closers go <clears throat> and even hoping for a no. Can, can you clarify that? So I'm of the big believer of um, I don't do like super positive energy or anything like that. I do think you should go into a call expecting a no. Why would someone first time getting on the call with you and you're expecting them to spend 10, 20, 30, 40 K with you? Absolutely no reason. And what happens is, and I listen to this on sales calls, when people do go into a call expecting a yes, and then they get a no, and it's that, or, you know, a prospect gives them an objection or an obstacle or anything like that. What happens is that tonality of the salesperson changes right there. It's like disappointment. During a call, they can feel that disappointment. Like they feel like, all right, so I don't have this deal no more. At that point, rather than utilizing the strategies and the tactical stuff they know what to do, they'll just mentally, they've left already. They're on to the next person and they're not even attempting as much to close this prospect. So I teach my closers to always go in there, expect no, expect the worst case scenario. And what happens is that that anxiety level that uh, most closers or salespeople have that leaves. So now you can actually be relaxed, be yourself and ask the questions, ask the probing and the clarifying questions more and more. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, experts also often say, well, don't take it personally, except yeah. you're the person they're telling no to. So how do you, what's your coaching for people who hear no all day long? I guess part of it is if you're expecting the no, then it doesn't hurt as bad because right. you're, you're looking for it anyways. Any mm-hmm. other uh, any other coaching that you give your salespeople on, you know, you're going to hear no all day, but it's okay. Right. It's perfectly fine. Our, our goal as time goes on is to decrease the number of no's. Right. If you're going into a call expecting a yes and you hear a no, you're going to you, whatever energy that you had is going to come down different level for everyone. But it's going to come down no matter what. So if you woke up, you had a fantastic day. And, I, you know, this is completely different. I, I focus more on discipline rather than motivation um, as far as like positive energy goes. Um, but if you go into a call expecting a no, there's nothing a prospect can do to take you off your game. Like you have a certain framework that you're going to follow no matter what, because you've already expected the no, you already feel like, all right, this person is going to tell me no, and I'm going to just have fun with it. I'm going to, you know, apply the strategies I know, 
I'm going to dig in for the pain, find out, see if I can, my solution can match the pain and then connect that bridge. Yeah. You said something interesting just now. I mean, I, I've been used many times as a motivational speaker. I have a one hour talk on motivation, but my belief is nobody else can motivate you. you, you the motivation has to come internally. It's got to come from you, but you just said you believe more in discipline over motivation. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So motivation, again, this is just my opinion, one man's opinion. It's um, it usually happens to us when on two extremes, either extremely positive or extremely negative. Right. So if I need to make rent a couple of days from now, I'm going to be motivated as a salesperson. I'm going to go find me a deal somewhere. Somehow I'm going to go find me a deal because I need to make rent. Right. Um, or something extremely uh, positive happened. Someone, uh, whether it's my competitor or someone on my team just made a, you know, 5K deal or 10K deal. And I'm like, All right, I got to do this. I got to do this. Or I, maybe I saw a TED talk with Jeff. Right. And now I'm super excited. But what that happens is that weans off. Right. Motivate. No person, I believe, can be motivated 365 days, 300, you know, all year, all year round, like all the time. So I believe in discipline, like and one of the one of the examples I use for this um, as far as like training salespeople and stuff. So when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you would do, Jeff? When I wake up, well, <clears throat> first thing I do is I start speaking to myself positively. I reach over and I pet my dog and then I go to the bathroom. Right. So. And what do you do in the bathroom? Just brush your teeth, shower, all that basic stuff, right? Well, there's, I, I, I you know, I, I'm an old guy, so I have to do other stuff. First, but, <laughs> okay, okay. And then I have not going to get into that, but yeah, uh, yeah, I have to shower and shave and all that stuff. Sure. So, goal with um, with some of the frameworks as far as uh, sales and I guess life in general is to have it so ingrained in you that you don't, you're not actively thinking about it. Like when I wake up, I go brush my teeth. It's not something that I'm thinking about. All right, I got to go brush my teeth. It's just automatically I'm doing it. Or I shower, or I go shave or whatever. Or, you know, positive affirmations in the morning or petting your dog. It's not that you're actively thinking about it. It's just you've done it so many times and it's so heavily ingrained in you. And you're just going to do it no matter what. And I think that separates. And that also helps, you know, um, walks into confidence as well. Um, I'm a big believer when you're doing daily actions it'll just immediately boost your confidence so it's about creating habits really ingraining it in you so that you don't even have to think about it exactly exactly so you don't have to be motivated to go take a sales call or go talk to this prospect or do 100 outbounds a day it's just the level of discipline you can start small and then increase the intensity later like you know you can start at all right i'm gonna do five outbound cold calls today you do that for a week and then you can bump them up every week. Maybe now I can do start doing seven. And, you know, you do that for enough, long enough uh, period of time. It's going to be ingrained in you every day. You're just going to do it. It's not going to be something you actively think about. You're just going to do it. And you will excel. You will be better than majority of the salespeople who aren't, who aren't doing the hard stuff, who's not yeah. uh, doing the work. And you want to get to the point where you are making that 10, 20, 30, $40,000 a month so that you're not worried about making the rent three days before <clears throat> Uh, I know you said you sold cars and, uh, you know, almost everybody knows just wait till the end of the month to buy a car because the salespeople are under pressure. They've got to hit a quota. You go the last three days of the month, you're, you're yeah. always going to get a better deal. And yeah. that, that pressure, uh, look, you know, I've been there. I've been selling yeah. a long, long time. So I've had more than one time in my life where it's like, if I don't, if I don't close something soon, I'm in some serious, they're going to take the car, they're going to take the house or something like that. Right. And, and that's not a good feeling. Uh, it's very challenging for most salespeople to function 
under that much pressure. So I'm with you. You want to, you want to hustle and grind and work it so that you don't have, so that you're doing it for your pleasure and you're enjoying it. And you're helping people and you're making a bunch of money so that you're not worried about, am I going to, am I going to pay the rent this month? It's an ugly place to be. I think we've all been there, but yeah. uh, my, my experience is that most salespeople, well, I, I don't, I don't think most salespeople don't want to make that kind of money, but they're not willing to put in the effort and not just the work. It's, it's the work in getting better. You know, most salespeople don't read a book. Don't, don't go to a seminar. Don't, there's free YouTube videos people can be watching all day long from guys just like you and me and famous people who are in the space. Why not invest in yourself? I mean, every time I go to my doctor, he's got books on his desk. My lawyers have books on their desk. And these are guys who've been doing it a long, long time. I, I've been sales almost 50 years. I've got three or four sales books on my desk right now that I, I'm, I'm reading because you never know when somebody's come up with something that you didn't think of or something new. And especially with how fast things change today, and we are living in, in a digital world and an almost virtual world half the time. You got to stay abreast, and if you're if you're not willing to put in the work, it's ridiculous to think that you're going to make the kind of money you're talking about. And another another thing is uh, talking about the the those levels of money. A lot of salespeople that I've spoken to uh, who aren't in the space and they're coming from another space, they don't think it's doable. Like they have this limiting belief that salespeople cannot nowhere cl- come anywhere close to making 30, 40k a month. Like these are, you know, uh, lawyers and doctors who've been doing it for 20 years, making that sort of sort of money. Like, how can I make this in the, within the next year? So it's they they do feel like it's um it's uh, this far fetched fantasy land. So that's that's just a limiting belief. But um, I do encourage, you know, like you said, go on YouTube, go on Google, look up some uh, some of the salespeople, look up the space uh, that you're going to join, whether it's this space or whatever space and see what the top one percent are doing. Right. And obviously, when you're in the top one percent or top 10 percent of any space, you're going to hit ridiculous numbers. But again, if you, whether you're in the top one percent or not, that's a different, completely different story. Is it doable? Yes. Are you going to do it? <laughs> you know, that's two it, different things we're talking about. It, it, it certainly should be apparent to anybody that those type of numbers are doable, whether in sales or someplace else. I mean, sell feet pics on OnlyFans. There are women making insane amounts of money each. And maybe guys do. <laughs> oh, I, know. I, I don't look at OnlyFans. Right. And I don't care about feet. But I mean, people, people, you know, if you really have the drive and you have half a brain, there's insane amounts of money to be made out there legally and professionally. Uh, and, and, you know, you're right. For many people, it is a lim- limiting belief. You know, uh, we're taught at a very young age, money doesn't grow on trees, you know, work hard all your life for a company, then retire with a, a, a pocket watch. Uh, I, I don't know if you, people still say that today, but that when I was a kid, that was you'd, you'd work at the same company for most of your life. When I was starting out, it, the average was you'd work at three companies during your entire career, from the age of about 21 till 65 when people were retiring. Uh, these days, you can make insane amounts of money not easily. I'm with you, Bess. It takes work. You want to make $30,000, $40,000 a month? That's going to take you some work. But if you're willing to pay the price in both the effort and the effort to learn and get improved, there's a insane amounts of money out there. Uh, you know, I end every one of these uh, talks with, you know, sales is a game of making things happen. So get out there and make sales happen. That's it. If you expect somebody That's to it. hand it to you, I've been waiting a long time for that. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet but uh, uh 
the money's out there. You know, there was something I saw a post of yours. Uh, I didn't actually see the video, but you put up a 20 minute video on handling the partner spouse objection. And I'm assuming that means I've got to talk to my partner. I've got to talk to my husband. I got to talk to my wife. How do you suggest we handle that one? Because that comes up for many people a lot. So um, it depends, obviously, on the context of whatever it is you're selling, whether it's in person or remote. I mostly teach remote. But um, my first, usually my first go-to is, is paint the worst case scenario for your prospect, right? So Mr. Prospect, what happens if they do say no? What happens then? So one of two things will happen. Obviously, one thing they'll say, if they say no, I'm not moving forward. At that point, you've just found out, which, you know... <laughs> A completely different framework. You should have found that out uh, earlier on in the call if you're talking to the decision maker. If uh, for whatever reason the prospect says, if my wife says no, I'm not doing it, then you just reschedule and you know get the wife on the phone. Uh, if they say I am doing it, if she says yes or no, now it's it's a you know it's just a it's a, it's just a smoke screen, and you need to peel that off and find out what the real objection is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or let's say yeah. like uh, one of the. Recent examples I, I actually had was a, uh, it's a fitness offer, helping people get in shape, 90 days, something like that. Um, and the guy said, I got to talk to my, uh, talk to my wife. So, and my, one of my closers did a fantastic job. He took a deposit and has said, look, talk to your wife. And if she says that she likes you being overweight and eating Cheetos and bonbons all day for the next three days, I'll tear up the agreement and you can have your, you can have your money back. Obviously that deal went through. So that's just a lot of times it's just, a, you know, um, whether it's that or I want to think about it, it's just a smoke screen. There's something the, you haven't covered. There's some sort of uncertainty that you haven't really peeled off enough layers as far as pain goes and the problem goes. Um, it should not be coming up. And I believe in pre-handling the objections during a sales call rather Absolutely. than wait till the end. Um, so when you've done that and if they've already told you that, you know, there's a sole decision maker, they can't hit you with the I need to talk to my wife. Right. If you've yeah, discovered yeah. that part earlier on, it's exactly. already eliminated or so the think about it part. Right. If you frame the call that at the end of this call, they're they're going to be making a decision. They can't hit you with certain, some of these things. So it comes down to frameworks as well. But obviously, objections do exist. They're going to come up regardless. <laughs> you should you should never, ever get to the end of the sales process and ask for the deal and have somebody say, uh, I have to talk to my partner. Why did you not find that out in the first place? What, exactly. Are, are most of the, the the type of sales you're talking about are they one call closes? Uh, depends. Depends. Uh, I've got um like two companies that I'm working with. One of them is a is like a three call process. So first call is like an introductory call. Second is a like a strategy session, and a third one is actually like the closing call. Uh, the other one is a one call close. Um, so yeah, ninety eight hundred and fifteen k offer. <laughs> I, I could see on a one call close getting to the end and somebody saying, oh, I've got to talk to my spouse or my partner or something like that, because you didn't have time to pre-qualify them. Although you could certainly do that in the build up to the appointment or your appointment center could pre-qualify that. But um, you should never get to the end. Here's my take on think it over. If you're talking to a decision maker, which is the only type of person I'm willing to speak with. Right. And you get to the end of the process and they say they've got to think it over. In my opinion, there's only two things to think over. The first one is, do I trust that Baz is going to deliver whatever he's telling me he's going to deliver? Well, if they don't trust you by the end of the process, are they going to figure that out later on that they trust you? No. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's BS. The other one is they have to think over, 
do I have, is the amount of money that Baz is charging me, is it worth what he's going to give me? And do I, do I actually have that money? Well, again, if you're talking to a decision maker, are they going to figure that out later on? No, a decision maker knows whether they have X amount of dollars. I spoke to a coach just yesterday who had been referred to me, not a sales coach. Uh, uh, I'm not going to give a name, but she works with CEOs, company presidents, high powered people. And um, I said, you know, what's, what's the biggest objection you get? And she goes, uh, I got to discuss this with my wife. I don't even want to say what she coaches on because it might give away who she is. Uh, really amazing lady, charges a fairly decent amount of money for what she does, and I'm sure she deserves it. And she's, she said, yeah, well, uh, the biggest objection I get is I've got to talk to my wife about this. I said, you're talking to a CEO of a company, and the CEO has to go talk, because she only sells to men, by the way. The CEO has to talk to his wife about a $7,500 a month decision on, and I, again, I don't want to say what she's selling, but that, that's insane. A CEO right. is running a company and has to ask his wife for permission? Right. It's BS. It, and, and, and we have to have a, an elegant way without, you know, smacking somebody in the face of saying you're full of crap. You right. can't say those words, although maybe you can sometimes, but you've got, you've got to show people that you're, you're giving me a spokesman. I'm very direct with people. I'll say, look, right. if you've decided not to do business with me, you just don't want to say it. And that's why you're putting them off. Please, you're, I'm not going to be offended. I'll still be your friend. And if you ever change your mind, let me know when I want to do business. But if you've decided you don't want to, you don't have to tell me you got to talk to your wife or your partner or your, the committee. Tell me now. We'll still be friends and I'll leave. Right. I, I, I'm being very direct. And, and that's because I don't have any time to waste. My right. time is valuable, just like every salesperson is and every person I speak to. I don't have time to waste on people who are jerking me around. If you want to give me a real objection, to me, the definition of a real objection is it's something that's in the way that we might be able to work out. Everything else is smoke and mirrors. Why bother? So I'd right. rather you just tell me no from the start than give me BS like, I've got to think it over. i got to talk to my partner. You know, could there be instances where it's on me? I didn't do the process right. That's why you got to think it over. Yeah, but that's on me. But right. I guarantee you at, at this point in my career, I'm telling you everything you need to know. I've asked enough questions. And like you, I let them do the majority of the talking. All I want to do is ask great questions and actively listen and then tell them a good story about why right. somebody else like them uh, chose to do business with me and lived happily ever after. hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's one of the things you just touched on, um, that C-level executive needed permission from uh, his wife. And that's another approach that I use. Um, I let them know, is it, would they rather have, um, um, permission or support? Are they asking their spouse for support or are they asking them for permission? Nine times out of 10, they'll tell you support. So do you think your wife will support you losing weight? of you know within the next 90 days absolutely does she know you're overweight yes she yes she does would she be against you wanting to actively going around looking for ways to lose weight is she against that no she's not what are we talking about here then man and it's all <laughs> you know again it's all smoke and mirrors like you said it's and nine times out of ten if you're actively listening to that prospect they'll usually tell you how to sell them they'll usually tell you how to close them if you're paying attention yeah, one, one, one of the pieces of coaching I gave <clears throat> yesterday was uh, a question that I love to ask personally of my clients, uh, w w prospects, w which is, you know, let's say you and I decide we're going to work together. I never say that you decide to work with me because we're going to make, make the decision. Yes. So let's say you and I decide to work together and we're sitting in your office six months from now. What would have to have happened during that six months for you to say, wow, am I glad I worked with you, Jeff? 
Well, when they answer that question, they're telling you exactly what they want. And all you have to do, assuming you can deliver that, say, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do for you. In my world, I want my people to get more appointments. I want them to have a shorter sales cycle. I want them to close more business more profitably because those are the three things I help people do. Great. Here's how I'm going to help you do that. We're going to do this kind of training and this kind of coaching. And then it becomes simple. Yeah. Uh, my mentor in the business told me a long time ago, I don't write proposals anymore. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, people want a proposal. He goes, oh, I still give people proposals. I just don't write them. I said, well, if you're not writing them, who's writing? He goes, I let my client write the proposal. I'm doing the physical typing, but all I'm doing is taking their words and putting it on paper for them. I'm feeding them back what they told me they want. And again, I want to make clear, it's not about I'm just feeding you BS because I'm not going to deliver it. Obviously, it's here's what I can do. It's exactly what you want. If, right. if you've got what people want and they want it, what's in the way? And okay. if there's something in the way, it's on you to uncover it. And if you can't deal with it, then move on to the next one. I'm with you. Uh, uh, there is so many cliches in sales uh, and some of my dislike, but to a certain extent, sales is a numbers game. You know, I don't care yeah. how good you are at sales. If you're not speaking to enough prospects, you can't close enough business. You can be right. the greatest salesperson in the world, whoever that may be. But without speaking... I'm pretty damn good at what I do. People pay me substantial amounts of money to teach them how to sell or sell better. I don't close everybody. In fact, well, with coaching, I have a very high, I close about 75% of the people I speak with. And that is typically a one call close. But with training, I close 42%. And that's a high number, but that still means 58% of the people I meet, more than half say, no, Jeff, you ain't the guy for whatever reason. And that then it does become a numbers game because I... I was taught by my last boss before I opened up my own firm. He goes, you got to know your numbers and you got to be make, you got to hear enough no's to get to the, the amount of money you want. You know, whatever amount of money you're making per sale, if 42% are going to say yes and 58% are going to say no, I got to talk to enough people to make sure that 42% is giving me what I need to take care of my family. Right. Um, and that's, uh, I forgot where I read that somewhere. Um, uh, maybe, I don't know. It might've been one of your posts. Um, but um, it was if I know if I'm closing, let's say, 40 percent. So I know I'm closing four out of 10 people as a salesperson. My goal should be just go talk to 10 people every day. I know I'm getting four out of them. Just go talk to 10 people every day. Well, depending on the commission you're going to get, you might need to speak right. to 20 because you need eight right, deals right. A, a day. But whatever the numbers are, right. I, all my life, I, I am not a numbers guy. I'm bad at math. I'm really great verbally, but I'm not great with numbers. <laughs> my last boss taught me the value of me knowing my personal metrics. And yeah. I still don't love numbers, but they help me make more money. You know, it, right. it, it's like, it's like you're born. If you ever read uh, Dr. Maxwell Maltz's book, Psycho-Cybernetics, he talks about that you're born with a success mechanism in your brain. We're actually born to be successful, but Without something to focus on, your success mechanism isn't going to do anything for you. And the, what you focus on is a specific goal. You have right. to have a specific goal. And then you've got to know what's it going to take for me to get there based on my average dollar volume for sale, my closing ratio, uh, the, the sales cycle. It, it, it's not rocket science. You know, my daughter is studying to be a rocket science. No kidding. She's actually studying aerospace engineering. Uh, but I'm not a rocket scientist. Not, it doesn't take a genius to be in sales. I always say, if you have half a brain, you can be in sales. If you've got the other <laughs> you're talking about, you know, that you're willing to, to work hard and that you're willing to do the work. hundred percent. It was rocket science. I couldn't do it. Uh, you also say, and we've all heard this a million times, and I'm not sure that people really understand the concept. You say that people buy with emotion 
and justify with logic. We've all heard that a million times, but right. what does that actually mean to you? And how can we use that when we sell? So a lot of that has to come into like impulsive decisions, right? Um, a lot of times if, you know, it's, there's a, there's a, like a dopamine high we get when we buy something and we feel like it's going to be, it's going to be the, the thing that's going to make me happy or let's say cars, for example, right? If I go into a, um, an Audi showroom, I spend 80K on a car and that exact moment, that impulse, impulsive uh, decision I made, yes, I, it was emotional, right? Later on, I'll justify it. Okay. You know what? I'm in business. I'm meeting C-level executives and I do need a decent car. I can't be going around in a, you know, a beater or whatever. So later on, I'm going to justify the fact that I just spent 80K on a car or 100K, whatever it might be, right? And I'm just, this is just an example. Um, but that's, that, that I feel like there's an emotional, uh, 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 a little high that we get that emotionally attaches us to buy whatever it is we're buying, product, service, whatever it might be. And then later on, we start, start justifying it. And the only time we do need to justify, by the way, is if we don't actually see the value in it, right? So if, if I spend 10K, this is like a B2B situation. If I spend 10K and I know in return, I'm going to get 100K over the course of a year, I don't need to justify that. Even though if it was an emotional decision, I don't need to justify that. I know the return is 10X. But if, if I don't believe that it's going to return me 100K over the next year, then yes, I'm going to find ways to justify it. Somebody who I, I can't tell who it is, they say, in my experience, sales is not about rocket science. It's about relationship building. Yeah. In most cases, it is. So, but in a one call close, especially a virtual one call close, how, how do you build a relationship? So I'm a big believer in not building rapport before the call is to do it during the call. Right. So rather than going into a call, hey, how you doing? How's the weather? All this other extra nonsense. I just tell closers to dive right in. So, Jeff, uh, thank you for meeting with me today. If you're ready, we can dive right in. And that's it. Start asking uh, the discovery phase, which is majority of the call, about 30 minutes of the call of the hour call. Uh, start asking questions, start digging into pain as they start opening up more and more to you. You start opening up a little bit more with them. It's a two way street. It's a give and take. And that's, I believe, again, one man's opinion, you should be building rapport during a call, especially if it's a one call close, build rapport during a call, you should be, there should be occasional laughs, right? You should be talking about um, whatever it is, whatever the common ground you guys find during a call, but you shouldn't be doing in the beginning of the call, right? In the beginning of the call, I feel like it's forced, right? You're talking about something, if you know, if you talk with a sports fan, right, virtually one call close. And all of a sudden you're talking about football. You have no idea what anything to do about football. And it's it, it nine times out of 10, it's going to feel forced. So you should build a relationship, but it should happen during the call. Got it. Well, and how would you know somebody likes football until you got on the call? Uh, I, I have to say, uh, as you just said something that I talk to salespeople about all the time and the coach in me can't resist. I mm -hmm. never, ever thank people for meeting with me ever. Uh, what mm -hmm. I say is I'm glad we could invest some time together today or I'm glad we chose right, to right. time together, or I hope you're right. as glad as I am that we're investing this time together. Uh, I believe word choices really make a difference. And when 100%. you thank somebody for their time in advance, I get the concept, but you're kind of lowering yourself. You're saying, oh, thank you, almighty customer, for your time. Whereas when you oh, say, I'm glad we could invest some time together today, psychologically, when people hear the word invest, 
they are hopefully thinking, oh, we bet invest. Hopefully there's a return on this investment and that's our goal. How do we give them enough value on the call so that they choose to do business with us? I, I All right. No, that. no, I agree 100%. I agree 100%. That's something I teach as well. And I, this was just like so, super surface level. Uh, but when we go really start going into it, like um, uh, word phrasing and metaphors and analogies and stuff, I 100% teach the same thing. You should not ever hold yourself to a lower standard of your time. And like you said, my time is just as valuable as the prospects. Right? There's no reason why the prospect feels like, All right, you know, because you I've heard some of these calls and the closers and the prospect will say, uh, all right, so what do you got for me today? Immediately the, that prospect is trying to take control and you need to reframe them, right? Bring them right back where they need to be. If not, you reschedule or move. So how would you reframe prospect. that? How would you reframe somebody who starts out the conversation with, okay, kid, what do you got? I have no idea. I have no idea what you need. How about we find out what you need first so I can tell you what you, what I got. And if I got makes sense for you. I have nothing to pitch you. I have nothing to offer you. There's, you know what I mean? So there's, uh, again, depending on the a prospect, I also tell my closers to do a little bit like a five to 10 minute research on the prospect if they can. Uh, most of the online um, uh, community, as far as like uh, uh, virtual one call closes, most of these uh, leads are coming from social media, right? So if the leads are coming from social media, you can usually go onto the person's page and to have like a little idea of the theme of the type of person they are. Right. And then you can approach them accordingly. I would not consider getting on a call or taking a meeting without doing some research first. I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, again, I've been doing this a long time and it was very difficult to do it back in the day. Now, right. it, I mean, super easy. All you have to do is put it into Google and, and suddenly you've got here's all their LinkedIn posts and here's everything on Facebook and Instagram. And you, you go to the, the most companies and organizations have a website. Of course, if you're dealing B2C, that's not the, the same thing. But Right. You're crazy to not Google somebody's name before right. you get on a call with them. That, 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 that's right. not. You also suggest that it's not okay to use objection handling on every single client. So yeah. when should we handle objections and when shouldn't we? This is something a little bit more advanced level, I feel like. And obviously, you're probably a much more advanced than I am. But um, I'm just older. <laughs> um, I think it should come to... There's something that comes with more reps, right? More times. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't something you can teach immediately. Occasionally, and, you know, this comes down to, like, again, more psychological stuff, the type of buyer you have in front of you, if it's a driver, amiable, whatever, all that stuff. Um, it comes down to if you have someone who says, you know, you have those people that make decisions with their gut and it's not sitting well with them or they have to, like, sleep on it or something like that, those people you cannot objection handle. You just absolutely can because nine times out of 10, you will blow that deal. I've had situations where someone said, oh, I need to think about it. And at the time, in my head, I'm going like, you know, throughout the conversation, obviously, I make that decision that is this person someone who makes decision from their gut? Are they a logical person? Are they not a logical person? And, you know, a lot of times I'll be like, okay, so we'll schedule this call for tomorrow. And they close. It becomes a deal. Had I done my regular objection handling at the time, and I've done it in the past, that person just does not end up buying because at that point they feel forced. Again, this isn't the majority. This is the minority of customers. There's very few that come in that genuinely need to think about it. And, and you know what? I think it's reasonable. Uh, yeah. I, you know, 
again, things have changed over the years that I've been selling, but, but you know, is it now handle objections? And of course we want to handle objections. And again, my definition is a real objection means there's something that we can work on. And if you can help me get past that, Jeff, we might do business, but, but um, it's a waste of time to argue with people that, that yeah. never, never win a fight. And I think it's absolutely reasonable in certainly in a high ticket sale that when somebody doesn't know what the price is and they just heard the price to expect them to, in every case to make an immediate decision. Uh, I sold Encyclopedia Britannica many, many years ago. And, uh, you know, that was door to door. And it was a set of books that people could send their kids to the library for to, to use for free. And the thing about Britannica was everybody wanted it because it was no it was the best in the world. You know, there were other encyclopedias, but there was nothing, nothing even close. And the only thing people really wanted to know was how much is it going to cost me? And right. it was stunning because nobody ever expected that a set of books that they could use for free in the library, we're talking 40 years ago, was $2,000 or more. Now, it's reasonable for somebody to go, whoa, $2,000? I didn't expect that. I need to think about that. Now, right. in fact, that was a one-call close. And we knew that if we didn't close that night, that once they thought about it, they were never going to do it. <laughs> and we closed, well, the national closing rate was 25%. I used to close 85% because I was a rabid, true believer. I really believed that if people invested in the books, that their, their kids would do better in school if they used them. But um, it's it's not unreasonable for somebody to hear that long ago for that uh, that amount of money for that, for them to go, I do need to think it over. You right. know, I, 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 the, the lady I was talking to yesterday, the coach I was talking to yesterday, uh, we were talking about this exact subject. I said, look, I can make a thousand dollar decision without much thought. Ten thousand dollar decision? <laughs> yeah, I can. I can do that without much thought too. Except I'm not gonna. I'm gonna think about ten thousand. That's a substantial amount of money. Uh, yeah. So you know, everybody has their level where they're comfortable. Hundred thousand dollar decision? I'm not making that overnight. Right. I, I, I can come up with the money for it if you can convince me that I, I, you've got what I need and it's going to help me grow right. my business. But um, I don't know that I'm going to do that on the spot. Right. So I think it's reasonable. And if we if we go into it thinking that's unreasonable, we're just gonna turn people off. We, we, gotta understand that we gotta live in the real world. You know, So many trainers like, like us um, have taught concepts that either A, no longer apply, or B, never apply. It was just, right. oh, this sounds good on paper and I'll sell some books or I'll sell some yeah. books. <laughs> Everything I teach is, it's real world. And, it's right. all, and that's only because it's all based on my years of experience working for a sales training company managing salespeople and, and what I've learned over the years, you know, all the pie in the sky stuff that written by somebody who maybe sold something for 10 minutes, you got to live in the real world. And it's reasonable for people to need to think about it. Uh, we're right. running out of time. I hate when this happens. Uh, let's see. How, here's, here's, I, I think we can end on this one. How do we pre-handle the money objection? Cause that's one that comes up quite often for people. You know, I, I can't afford it. Actually, I think there are two different objections with money. One is I can't afford it. And the other one is they don't see the value. They have, they actually don't have the money or they just don't think it's worth it. So how do we pre-handle the money objection? So as far as value goes, um, I saw this great example a couple of days ago um, online. And if, if I walk down the street, right, and I see you, Jeff, hey, Jeff, uh, I got a Ferrari I want to get rid of. Um, I'll sell it to you for 10000 Obviously, you don't have ten thousand at the time. Are you going to find a way to come up with that ten thousand? Uh, assuming it's not hot. Uh, and no, no, it's, it's everything right. Everything is legal. Everything is good, right? You're going to find a way. 
because well, you, the first you thing are, I do is I probably think, how much is my insurance going to be? Uh, yeah, <laughs> ten thousand for a Ferrari. Yes, you're going to find a way because you know the value of that car is obscenely higher than the ten k, right? So if at that point I think it comes down to the salesperson not uncovering enough pain to be able to look at the prospect and say, all right, so this isn't the solution this prospect needs. At that point, the prospect does not see the value in it. Has nothing to do with the with the with the money at all, at all, right? And if the money objection does come in into play, there's a million ways. Um, with B two B approach is different. B two C is different. With B two C, a lot of times, uh, and I've ran into this recently, uh, past uh, especially like quarter two and now quarter three of this year, um, a lot of people generally don't have the money. Right. And they want to do something and they'll get the funding if it's available. So they'll make the decision as long as the money is provided for, for them via third party. This is just B2B2C. B2B, again, nine times out of 10, it's not price. It's not the fact that they don't have the money. They have the money. They just don't see the value. They just don't want to give it to you. They don't see your value. They don't see um, the actual return on their um on their investment into you or whatever it is you're selling, whatever type of offer or anything like that. And as far as uh, pre-handling, um, it's so there's a framework that I teach all my closers and we're running a little bit out of time. It's a long framework, but um, just before going into the pitch, there's like a temperature check I'll have them do. Um, so let's say in a B2B situation, you know, you're looking to generate uh, 200K over the next uh, 2023 how much of how, what percentage of that do you think you're okay investing to be able to get to that number? They give you a percentage nine times out of 10, even if they tell you 10%, that's 20 K they're telling you they're happy to invest to get to that 200 K mark. And now you can continue with the call. That's just one example. There's so many, but I don't want to. I got it. Uh, by the way, uh, well, I'm not really a Ferrari guy. If you've got a 10 K Ferrari or a, I'm a Lamborghini. Guy. So if you've got a 10 K Lamborghini Ferrari, You've got my number. If somebody's interested in perhaps working with you or learning more about becoming a, an elite closer, how do they reach you? Uh, usually they can just go on my social, uh, most of my socials. Well, just Facebook, uh, the biggest one, or they can go into my $30 uh, landing page. Uh, just watch the the video of me just uh, presenting like a, on a basic slide. And the crazy thing is one of the, and I want you to Google this, uh, this guy, um, Alex Hormozzi, after we got on this, on this call, his website looks exactly, well, it's, it's a landing page. That person has done about a hundred million a year. So the websites is, is, you know, it's non-existent uh, nowadays, uh, especially going forward. It's a billion people. You can make a website very fast, but uh, yeah. So you can go to eliteclosers.com, um, go there, go through the steps, watch the video, see if you like what you see, schedule a call. Someone on my team or myself can chat with you or go into my social, send me a message. We can chat there. Appreciate it, Bez. Uh, thank you very much for investing this time with us today and sharing your concepts. I really appreciate <laughs> it. And I will, Absolutely. as I always do. Uh, sales is a game of making things happen. So get out there and make sales happen. Uh, for my Jewish friends, if you're, having, uh, if you're observing Rosh Hashanah next week and Yom Kippur the week after, please have a wonderful holiday. Everybody else have a great weekend. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Baz. Thanks, everyone. All right. Later.